Now subject and the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Romans 14 verse 17. Romans 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And 18 says, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable God and approved of men. This evening we are going to be dealing with the subject of peace. We've been working on righteousness all this while, but we're going to start with peace this evening. Praise the Lord. Peace. That's a word everybody will want to to hear. Everybody, I think, love that too. Peace. Okay, we're going to start reading from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm looking at just verse number 5. It's all about the sacrifice of Jesus, his crucifixion, the prophecy about his crucifixion. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Amen. Now, the word peace is the word shalom. Shalom means safe. That is, figuratively, to be well, happy, friendly. It means welfare. That is, health. Prosperity, peace, that which is prosperous, it means holy, that is whole, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to be made whole, peace, shalom. So, it means the chastisement of our safety, our happiness, our well-being, our prosperity was laid on him. By implication, for us to be happy, he took our sorrows. Amen? For us to be sick, he took it upon himself. So the kingdom is about the explanation of that which Christ did in exchange for what you were passing through or what you were suffering from. So unhappiness is not part of the kingdom because he took unhappiness that we might be happy. He took our poverty so that we might be rich because peace means prosperity. He took our e-hurt so that we can be healthy. Hallelujah. So when you say the chastisement of our peace upon him, 
we are saying everything we are supposed to suffer negatively we laid on him that we may receive absolute peace. Praise the Lord. So what then is the basis of this peace we are talking about? Let's go down to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I'll look at verse 1 and 2. Scripture says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hallelujah. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, I want to make a statement here. A believer is not responsible for having peace in the sense of making it, but in the sense of enjoying it. Did you hear what I said? A believer is not responsible for having peace in the sense of making it, but in the sense of enjoying it. Why? Because the peace we are talking about cannot be manufactured by you. It was manufactured, if I may use the word, by him. And that you receive it, so all you are supposed to do is to enjoy the peace that he has created. Am I communicating? See, the chastisement of your peace was upon him. So, he made peace available, so your duty is to enjoy the peace that he has made available. Did you catch it now? Hallelujah. This is because Christ initiated the peace and obtained it for us. And between us and God. So we are no longer enemies in our mind. But we have a relationship with the Father and sons. When it comes to the issue of God, we have peace. Because Jesus stood between us and God to reconcile us. Is that okay? That when it comes to our health in terms of Peace being hurt, it is not what we do that brings us hurt, it is what he has done. So we should enjoy health because of what he has done. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? Your being whole, spirit, soul, and body, is not what you can do, or what you have done, or what you will do, it is what he has done. So everything is for us to enjoy. He paid the price that you may enjoy the price he has paid. That's all. So you are prosperous not because you can walk so hard. Because the race is not to the swift. Is that okay? But you can be prosperous. You have to enter into the prosperity that he paid for. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. 
In other words, the price we should have paid to become rich was laid upon him. So he paid the price that we may enjoy the prosperity. So everything about the life of a believer who truly believes by faith. Don't forget, we are justified by faith. Is that okay? Therefore, we are peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. So everything you can ever enjoy in life, that you should enjoy in life, is tied to your faith in what he has done. Praise the living God. And I'm going to define what this peace really means as we progress anyway. Now let's move down to define a little bit of what this peace really means. Philippians 4. Philippians 4. You know, the Bible says, he was speaking to some of the disciples, part of the disciples, and said, enter into the kingdom that the Lord has prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Have you read that in your Bible? Meaning, the disciples were not responsible for making the kingdom available. Am I right? Good. It was made available by God and they have to enter into it. And what you do to enter is the only thing you are supposed to be laboring for. Laboring to enter into his rest. Are we there in Philippians 4? Let me start reading from verse 6 to 7. King James, then I'm going to take it also from the message. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Now I want you to know, the peace we're describing is the peace of God. Watch this. Seek a force, the kingdom of God, and what? His righteousness. Again, you can, you can begin to expand on that to say, Seek a force, the kingdom of God, and his peace. And his joy. And all other things shall be added. Is that okay? Are we together? So, this peace we are describing is the peace of God. Just like the righteousness we described previous, nah, I mean previously is the righteousness of God. Meaning, you can also work out your own peace. But the peace you can work out cannot guarantee you what true peace really is. But you can try to manufacture your own peace. Maybe by reason of the things you want to have around you, uh, whatever you can create, the things you can buy, and maybe type of relationship you think you can create or make, whatever the case may be. But however, the Bible says, the peace of God passeth all what? Understanding. And it says, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ. Now, I will read it before I explain what it means to keep. Let me take it from the message translation. St. Philippians 4. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Is that a simple instruction? Yeah. So you have issues and you just cracking your head and things like that. You don't need to do all of that. Instead of worrying, do what? Just simply pray. You don't have to worry. Let petitions and praises 
shape your worries into prayers. Hallelujah. Letting God know your concerns. Letting God know your concerns. I would like to tell this again in a very slow form. Because I want it to sink in. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concern. Just let him know your concern. It didn't say worry about the things, but let him know your concerns. Verse 7. Before you know it, a sense of God wholeness. What is the wholeness now? The peace of God. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good. We come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when the Christ displays worried at the center of your life. Amen? Say it's wonderful. What happens when Christ displays this worry at the center of your life? When you stop giving him your thought, your concern, there is a displacement of your worries with peace. Hallelujah. Peace comes in. His own peace begins to come into your life. And the Bible says, all things will be coming together for good for you. All things will be coming together. So instead of getting worried over so many things, remember, when you start getting worried, you're missing peace. Peace is out of the way. Because peace and worry can live together. Hallelujah. Peace and worry don't dwell together. So if you give yourself to worrying, you miss the peace of God. But if you want the peace of God, then you just go back to him in simple petitioning and praises. And then he begins to make you whole. Put you together. Praise the Lord. So when we talk about the peace of God, we are talking about the harmonizing of all passions and appetite, which is produced by the Holy Spirit. Which arises from a sense of pardon and the favor of God. You just know that well. You are not trying to find out what the issue is. You are just trying to take the things to him. And then he takes it over. Hallelujah. There's a kind of calmness that begins to rest in your life. In your mind. Because you've given it over to him. And like the scripture says. You begin to assemble things and assemble your own life together. That finally you begin to experience peace. Which ordinarily you may not dream about. Okay. Now what it says shall keep your heart. It means the peace of God shall protect your heart. Now your heart is the seat of your affection and passions. And your mind has to do with your understanding, judgment and conscience. So when it says the peace of God shall keep your heart and mind, it means all your affections and passions will be garrisoned. In other words, will be so handled in such a way that you will, look, you will live a fragmented life. Now, I don't know how I'm going to explain this to you. But you see, you can be so racked up in your mind by various thoughts over certain issues. Here and there and you just disorganize. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to say here. I don't, can't, can't find a good word to describe it. But it's like being 
schizophrenic. You, you are getting mad. I remember discussing with a friend a few days ago. He said, my heart is just hot and my head. I said, I understand your state. Because something happened to him. Now, he doesn't know how to coordinate himself. He said, my heart is burning and my head. Now, when your head begins to burn, your heart begins to burn, you're getting a little bit mad. Eh? Because you are not coordinated. You don't know exactly what to do. That's his time. If somebody is close to you, you can kill. Amen? Now, the Bible is saying, God's peace will guide your affections and your passions. In other words, you will be brought under control. In the midst of very terrible situation, you still can maintain your peace. Are you getting that? You can still be calm. You'll just be wondering why you are calm. But the peace of God is running through your mind. God is guiding your thought, guiding your passions, guiding your affection, guiding your judgment of the situation. You are not trying to find reasons why you are suffering, if, if I may use the word, reason why you are suffering, why you are suffering. Something is just keeping you steady. You're just wondering, how could you be passing through this and yet you are so organized? Praise the living God. Now the peace of God. Amen? Okay. Now, we find that Christ is the one bringing us into the state. Now, it did that to bring us, you see, it's all part of the grace of God, like we read in the book of Romans. Remember that? Talking about justified by faith and we receive this by the grace to the glory of God. Is that okay? It's all part of the grace of God that he has granted unto us. And um, I gave an example here the other time of my old man, my dad, that somebody walked in and gave him a slap while he was eating. And I find that the man was still seated comfortably, threw the food away from his table. He was still seated comfortably. And I was just wondering what could be the issue. Right? But he just felt the man doesn't know what he's doing. And if he decides to slap the man or something, the man could suffer. And I just begin to wonder, how can a man be able to control himself to that level? I mean, there are not two persons like that as far as I'm concerned. There's somebody who walks into your house, throw your food away, you are eating, the cool of the evening, eh? and give you a slap, and you respond, you are still sitting down. Man. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. But that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Hallelujah. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That there are certain states at which you can still maintain your peace. And people will just be wondering, how is it possible? What will make you run mad? At the end of the day, you discover that it's not even affecting your, your emotions. It's not affecting your passion. It's not taking control over your life. You are still calm and just watching. And sometimes begin to see the people perpetrating this as people who are ignorant of who they are supposed to be. It's the peace of God. Hallelujah. Now, this piece I'm trying to describe to you tonight... Is a very different nature from all that can arise from human circumstance. It is the peace which Christ has purchased and which God dispenses. Let me explain this. How many of you have read when Jesus and the disciples were to cross the river and the storm came? Remember that? Now, we are told that Jesus was sleeping on the pew of the boat. 
That was a storm. Water was coming in. The wind was terribly blowing. This man was still sleeping. I don't understand this kind of sleep. But that's what I'm talking about. That the storms of life can wake you from this peace that God gives. Do you understand that? No storm of life. That's what I'm saying. You see, now, I want you to understand something here. Do you, can you picture how we react to issues about life? And that's exactly what I mean. When you can see how, when things happen, the way your body begins to react is what I'm talking about. But I'm saying, there is this peace that Jesus purchased, and God is distributing this peace to everyone that believes in the sacrifice of Jesus, that the storms of life can't wake you up to do the contrary, because there's a storm in your life. That is why I said, it is not the peace you can manufacture. It is that which God gives. It is what Jesus paid the price for that we can also enter into. That no matter the storms of life, you can still maintain your composition. Your wholeness is still there. Is that okay? You are not disorganized. You are not fragmented. You are not confused. You are still focused. Jesus wasn't confused because the storm was on the boat. The people were shouting and crying, but he was still composed. He only demonstrated to love the life we can live. Everything about the ministry of Jesus was a demonstration of the life that we can live in this world. So if the storm couldn't wake him up, meaning there is no storm in life that can disturb the peace of God in our lives. Can I hear an amen to that? So now you get down to John 14 and see what I have to say there. This, this statement we're about to read in John 14 verse 27 is like a farewell speech to a people that you love. John 14. You know, from John 14 down, it's like a farewell speech or a farewell statement to the disciples. Because when you finish John 14, enter John 15, begin to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit down to 17. Is that okay? So it's like a farewell speech. Because you know from John 14, in fact from John 13, when it was the disciples' field, and then the prediction of his crucifixion came to be, right from that moment, everything was about his death. Is that okay? So everything was saying was like, a final statement as to the next phase of his life in relation to the disciples. So, what we're about to read here is like a farewell speech to the disciples. Verse 27, the Bible says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world give it. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be what? Afraid. Now, watch this. Peace I leave with you. That is a wish. My peace. So, what is his peace? Other than the price he paid, what he got, his peace is the very same type he had when his tongue was on the boat. Praise the living God. Did you get what I said there? 
My peace I live with you. It defined the kind of peace he's talking about. That same peace he had when the storm was there. He said, I'm living the same peace with you. This is my peace. Not the type that the world gives. Hallelujah. Peace I live with you. My peace I give unto you. So it's not just leaving us the peace. He gave us the very peace that he purchased for us. Like I said at the beginning. And this very peace he purchased was the one that sustained him at the time of the storm and the sea. Now, you see the two things working together. The storm was on, the waves were on. Is that okay? Everything. So it's like heaven and earth were against him. Because they were, they were on top of the river and the storm was there billowing heavily. Is that okay? And then the storm was there with the wind. But in the midst of that, something sustained him while the disciples were crying and shouting. His peace was still being maintained. He was sleeping. And he said, peace I live with you. My own peace I do what? I give unto you. It's not the type that the world gives. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my own peace. The type that can keep me in the midst of storm. And that is exactly what I'm trying to make us see tonight. That there is a place in God where the peace he has purchased for us can so walk that in the midst of turbulence of life, we are still calm and relaxed. It is possible. Hallelujah. It is possible. Praise the living God. Peace, I live with you. Like I said, the Jewish form of salutation and benediction is like a farewell speech, like I said. It's a wish of peace among them. It's thought to be understood. And one of the things that he said, my peace, I live with you, or peace, I live with you. After I said, peace, I live with you. And I said, my peace, I give to you. Remember that? Okay. It's another way of saying, may you prosper in body and soul and enjoy every earthly and heavenly good. Now, we know we can probably say this, peace be unto you. We may probably say that to people, but we do, do we really know what we are talking about? I w- you may just simply say, I wish you well. You are actually trying to say, peace be unto you. But do we really believe or know exactly what we're talking about? Because when a Jewish man says, Peace be unto you. What he's saying is, May you prosper. In your body and in your soul. And may you enjoy every earthly and heavenly good. It's a whole package in one word. Therefore, I think... Sometimes we are a little bit callous with the words we use. Hallelujah. So when you are telling somebody, peace be unto you, you should just know what you are trying to say. In your soul, be at peace. In your mind, be at peace. Physically, may you prosper. Spiritually, may you prosper. And anything that is good on the earth and in heaven may belong to you. May you receive it. That is what you are saying with one word. When you say peace be unto you. 
Now, I don't know now how we really use this word for those who are dead. May you rest in peace. I don't know. Are they troubled over there? I don't know. I'm just asking. Because we are used to that. May his soul rest in peace. Meaning we believe that his soul can be troubled. Am I right? I'm just, I'm just thinking. I don't know. Because we use the word. If we truly understand what peace means. May his soul rest in peace. Oh, so we believe his soul is in trouble. Maybe his soul is in hell. So maybe, okay, maybe we're praying, let his soul get out of hell. Or even if he's in hell, let him have some peace there. Huh? We don't know the import. We don't know the strength of the word we're using. We are careless with words because we don't truly know the, the meaning or we don't know the, the strength of this word. So when Jesus says, peace I live with you, my peace I give unto you, what he's saying is, it is my wish that you prosper in your body, and he also, you see, John prayed the same prayer. I wish above all things that you may do what? Prosper and be in health. One word summarize that. Peace. Do you get what I'm trying to say here? So it's like what Jesus prayed for the disciple was what John himself was praying for this particular guy. Praise the living God. So he said, my peace, such tranquility of soul, such an uninterrupted happiness of mind, such everlasting friendship with God as I enjoy. May you also enjoy it. And such blessedness I live unto you. It is my last and my best wish for you. It's a legacy. What he's trying to say, this is what you're going to go through. Now I think outside of the prayers that Jesus prayed for Peter when he says, uh, Satan, I've decided to see if you at wheat. Is that okay? Say, but I prayed for you that when you're strengthening, you do what strengthen the brethren. Outside of that, I think this prayer which Jesus made in John 14, verse 27, was the most important thing that kept Peter in prison when James was already killed or had already been killed. This man was he sleeping in prison, he wasn't worried. His, his, his next person had been killed and the next day they were going to kill him but we are told in Acts chapter 12 remember that? we are told Peter was he sleeping when the brethren were praying is that okay? now that is the kind of peace I'm describing the peace that makes you to be completely free from worry agitation and confusion now picture it this way Two of you are apostles or disciples, as the case may be. They arrested you and they killed your fellow the other day. And that you know they are going to kill you because they jail you there, they tie you there. And in the midst of that, you are sleeping. Can your mind allow you to sleep? You see a lot of things running through your mind. You are picturing which way they are going to hang you or which way they are going to slaughter you. And so many things will be running through your mind. You can't sleep. This man was sleeping. He really, hey man, Peter was a man of faith. He walked on water. He could sleep at Jesus' sleep in the midst of storm. He got some things that no other apostle actually received, I believe. He demonstrated some very aspect of the life of Jesus. He was the first to be afraid, I agree. But at least he has to his credit that he was only the apostle that walked on water like Jesus. Amen. That's a good credit too, eh? <laughs> Praise the living God. 
Say, he's talking about the peace that he gives and not that the world gives. Amen? Okay. Alright, I, I would like us to look at something. Time is already speaking. Excuse me. So, turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Mm. So, the peace we are describing, Jesus is like saying, I wish you that I will give you peace to his followers. Jesus give this peace. He procured this peace for them, preserve it, and establish it. It is the author, the prince, the promoter, and the keeper of this peace. Amen? That's why you call him the prince of peace. I want you to understand what it means. When he says the prince, you simply say he is the author of this peace. It's not a type that the world can give. It's a type that only him can give. How many of you sometimes have listened to the news and you are mad in your mind? But the man that has this peace can still be relaxed in the midst of very ugly news. Are you still there? Praise the living God. Isaiah 54, verse number 10. Are we there? I'm going to read up to verse 12 in it, but let me take verse 10 first. For the mountain shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, say the Lord, that had mercy on thee. Praise the living God. Hallelujah. Now, watch this. This is a covenant matter. Hallelujah. Amen? Let me say this. I don't know if I'll have the time to demonstrate this. But you see, when people want to make a covenant in the Old Testament or in the old times, Kevin, come here. This is the way it works. They take animals, two animals, stand there. They take two animals, you can read that from Genesis chapter 5. You understand how God entered a covenant with Abraham. Abraham was out of the covenant. But I want to demonstrate to you how covenants are made in the Old Testament, in the old times. They take all the animals and they divide them into two. Whether it's a bird or a goat, into two equal parts. They put one part here, they put another part here. Okay? Two of us have to enter into the covenant. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now we start walking towards each other. And we get to this place. We will now make the covenant among ourselves between those two animals. Is that okay? Are you following what I'm talking about? Go and sit down. Now, if you look at the book of Genesis chapter 15, you are going to see what I'm talking about. God asked Abraham to divide all the bells into two. Is that okay? And while Abraham was watching, all of a sudden he fell into a deep sleep. And the Bible says the fire of God and the glory of God came and passed between those pieces of animals. What was going on here? God didn't want Abraham to be part of the covenant because Abraham would fail. So he entered the covenant by himself. And when Abraham woke up, covenant had already taken place. God is going to bless him. Are you got what I'm talking about? That is why we often say that Abraham enjoyed grace in his age. He didn't walk under law. 
That is why you can't prove that tithing is under law. Because Abraham who tithed entered into covenant with God by grace, not by law. Do you understand this? Alright. Got the next thing. So God is saying here, O thou... Now, for the mountain shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be what? Removed, saith the Lord, that had mercy on thee. So what he's saying is, I've entered a covenant, and nothing is going to make this covenant not to work. And what is the covenant you entered with you? The covenant of peace. So, what he's saying is, no man can take his peace from you. No mountain, no affliction, no troubles. If you truly receive it, the peace of God will guide your heart in all situations. Because the covenant. Hallelujah. Are you there with me? Praise the living God. Okay, look at verse 11. All that afflicted, toes with tempest, and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stone with fair colors, and lay thy foundation with sapphires. I will make thy windows of agate, and thy gate of carbuncles, and all thy borders of pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of all of thy children. Praise the living God. All thy children shall be taught of the Lord. And you know Jesus mentioned it in John chapter 6 verse 44. You go there and see. John chapter 6 verse 44. I read it to 35. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. Who is it referring to now? Isaiah. And they shall be taught of God. Every man therefore that had heard. And a land of the father cometh unto me. What will be the next thing when you come to God? Peace. Hallelujah. How are you taught by God? Aside of what we're doing now, receiving the message, even what I'm saying now could just be sounds, except God begin to instruct you on your inner man. Amen? You are taught by God by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, which convinces you of the person of Jesus Christ, and the work he has accomplished for us by his sacrifice. That is how God teaches you. He convinces you by the Holy Spirit. What am I trying to say? Understanding the peace I'm talking about is God's own dealing. Again. Through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Because Jesus, I mean Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 54 prophesied and begin to say, well, my covenant of peace, no man can break. Oh, ye that are afflicted, going through storms, suffering, whatever the case may be. Even your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Is that okay? And here Jesus making reference to that, as it's written in the prophets. Your children shall be taught of the Lord. Therefore, they that are taught of the Lord, and have heard, they come unto me. 
And now when they come to you, when they come to him, what will be the next thing that they are going to have? My peace I give unto you. Are you following this? This is what grace is doing for us. That there is a kind of peace that God is giving to us in the midst of this world. That we can see have our head low, calm, relaxed when others are getting into trouble. One of the ways by which you can test how our blood runs is when our account is low. Amen. Am I correct, somebody? <laughs> when your account is low, when, when expenses are coming, you are spending and then nothing is going to your account, try and check your blood pressure. And then you will know how your blood is running. Amen? Even good money sometimes in the house will be difficult. That tells you that the peace you had before was based on your money and not the peace of God. You can be so relaxed. Uh huh. When your account, when you can still remember what is in your account and you're putting in, you're putting in. You smile, you talk. Huh? But when expenses begin to come, when trouble begin to come and your account is running down, check your blood pressure. Then you will know whether the peace you had before was from God or your money. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about here? But I'm talking about the peace that comes to you as God teaches us by the Holy Spirit. We come to Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, he gives back to us his peace. The type that Peter enjoyed even while he was in prison. The type that himself enjoyed while the storm was going on. I'm saying tonight, there is no storm in life that can take away your peace. Because God called it my covenant of peace. He said, even if the mountain goes, even the hill goes, my covenant of peace cannot. God is not prepared to break that covenant by no means. And there is no circumstance in life that can break that covenant. It's made by God himself and himself alone. And this covenant he distributes or releases to you as you receive who? Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Okay, let's see. More scriptures and could be truth tonight. Now, let me also say this <clears throat> what draws men to God is not the anger of God, but the love of God. Is that okay? Hey, are we together? Preaching the anger of God will only send fear into the heart of men, and they will run away from God. But God so loved that he did what? He gave. If you preach the love of God, men will come to God. But if you preach the anger of God, men will run away from God. Adam had to run because he was afraid. Right? Because to him, he has committed an offense and God is angry. Is that alright? But God, through Christ, said, my anger is over. So what are you supposed to be preaching to people? Preach the love of God. God so loved that he gave. Men will come to him who love them. Is that alright? There is a common knowledge that when you have a little child looking at you, if you stretch your hand towards the child, the child will definitely come to you. Am I right? But you say, when you look at the child that the mother is carrying or somebody else, and the child wants to hide, you are expressing anger. But when you stretch your hand, the child will come. Even if the child is messed up. 
Praise the Lord. Okay. Go to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. I wish we can go through this. Isaiah 32, 15 down to 17. Now, this has to do actually with Israel. The confusion in the world, the suffering, the pains, captivities and all of that. The Bible says, until the Spirit be poured upon us from a high. By 15 I'm reading. And the wilderness be fruitful, I mean be a fruitful field and a fruitful field be counted for a forest. That is a progression. That is a growth process. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. There's guarantee of assurance when peace begins to manifest. But watch it. It comes through what? Righteousness. How is it going to come? Through the Holy Spirit. Meaning, when you receive the Holy Spirit, one of the things that it carries into your life is God's righteousness, God's peace, and God's joy. Now you find there's a progression. The first thing you receive when you come into the kingdom is what? Righteousness. Now the effect of righteousness or the work that the righteousness is going to produce is what? Peace. Now what is righteousness? Righteousness is simply, remember the Bible says, we will made the righteousness of God in who? In Christ. Christ is our righteousness. And because we receive Christ as our righteousness, the next stage that we must come into is what? The peace of God. And the Bible now says the effect of that peace is what? Our righteousness, quietness for what? Forever. The effect of righteousness is quietness and an assurance forever as we receive the peace of God. Praise the living God. So when the Bible says, seek for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then the next thing that follows you seeking the peace, I mean the righteousness of God is what? The peace of God. So, watch it this way. We have the righteousness of God in this world. It is not when we die that we're going to have it. We have it right now and right now. Now. Not tomorrow. Is that okay? Meaning also, because we have the righteousness of God in this world, we can also have the peace of God we are in this world. Because that is a work of righteousness. Praise the Lord. So we find that righteousness works and produces peace. The very peace we are describing. Hallelujah. And there's a culture of righteousness cultivated by people, produced tranquility of mind and permanent security. Amen. Now, if you watch what used to happen under the Deuteronomical Covenant, when I talk about Deuteronomical Covenant, I'm talking about the covenant that you walk through in the book of Deuteronomy. Amen? Under the Deuteronomical Covenant, you have to obey the laws to be prosperous. But in the kingdom age, you have to live at righteousness to prosper. And this is by faith in the finished work of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying here? God will say, well, if you do this, you're going to prosper. If you do this, you're going to prosper. If you do this, you're going to prosper. 
That is Deuteronomy. That is Exodus, as the case may be. Is that okay? Because it is what you do that equals your righteousness. Now, God is not going to bless a wicked man. God can only bless a righteous man. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Right. But in the kingdom of God, it is not what you do, it is what you believe. Your prosperity is not tied to what you do, it's tied to your belief. In what he has done. Do you get the point? Hallelujah. So we have to have faith in him who has purchased for us prosperity. Now understand it. In this context of the kingdom age, anything you set forth your hand to do prospers. Because you carry the righteousness of God and God will live bless a righteous man. Do you understand it? That is why you must develop a righteousness consciousness. That all the time, wherever you are, you carry the righteous one, therefore you are righteous. So anything you do is bound to prosper. Why? Because your righteousness personified. Are you still there with me? Now, let me read this last scripture maybe. And understand what I'm saying. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Let me read it from verse 13. Or just five minutes or so to go. James 3 verse 13. Who is a wise man? And endure with knowledge among you. Let him show out of good conversation his work with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Are you there with me? Gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Hallelujah. Okay, let me just, let me just read it from the message translation. Do you want to be counted wise? Just listen to me. Do you want to be counted wise? Then build a reputation for wisdom. I mean, do you want to be counted wise? You want to build a reputation for wisdom? You want people to see you to be a wise man? Here is what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. Three things. You want to be seen as a wise man? You want to build a reputation for yourself amongst men. Live well. Live wisely. And live humbly. It is the way you live. Not the way you talk that counts. Hallelujah. Do you understand? It is the way you live your life. Not the way you talk that matters. 
Verse 14 says, Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. When people are mean, you know what it means to be a mean man. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. Verse 15 says, Is the farthest thing from wisdom. Is animal cunning, devilish conniving. Verse 16. Whenever you are trying to look better than others, or get the better of others, things will fall apart. And everyone ends up at the other's truth. Is that okay? Listen to this again. Whenever you are trying to look better than others, or get the better of others, things will fall apart, and everyone ends up at each other's throat. That is where there is trouble. Because you want to be better. You want to be seen to be the best. Hallelujah. Verse 17 says, Real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with the holy life, which is righteousness now. And it's characterized by getting along with others. Check your life. You see, when you go back to Romans 14, 17, 18, the Bible talks about the kingdom is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, and they that serve Christ in this thing, they approve of God and acceptable. Can you, can you get a picture there? That's what I'm telling you. Now, he said, true wisdom, the one that produces the peace we're talking about now, true wisdom from above is characterized by getting along with others. How, how, how is this with you? Do you get along with people? Is your personality so, so, I don't know. Do you hate people or do people hate you? I mean, I don't know how to pull this. Do you have harmony with people? Husband and wife. Friends, sisters, fellowship together. Do you have harmony? Hallelujah. It is gentle and reasonable. Overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next. Oh my God. When you are hot today and cold tomorrow and hot the next day, you have no peace. That's what we are talking about. Meaning, if you are a gentleman, you are gentle all through. Today, tomorrow, next tomorrow. Person can say, that woman is a gentle woman. Not when you are gentle today, tomorrow you are hot. He said, now so I be. You deceiving yourself. You don't have the peace of God. Hallelujah. And I like this one. Okay, let me take it again. Overflow with mercy and blessing, not hot one day and cold the next. Not two-faced. And somebody says, a two-faced musician. Not two-faced. In other words, we can read you and say, that is Calvin. Oh, the next is something I will say, I'm just surprised about this sister. It's like I don't understand her. Two-faced. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Are you a two-faced person? No, man. You don't have the peace of God. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its result only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. That is the answer. Everybody 
should be respected. That is the true peace of God. To get along with people, treat them with honor. Listen, when you respect people, people will respect you. But when you try to treat people that you know more than they do, they will detest you because you go away with your wisdom, go away with your pride. They don't need you. But if you want people to honor you, want people to respect you, you got to respect them. That's why people say, respect is what? Reciprocal. It's what you give that you get. Whatever a man sow, that he also reap. You tell people you are very intelligent, you are very wise man, go to hell with your wisdom. I don't need it. You are not God. But if you really want to maintain peace, and you want people to maintain peace with you, what does the Bible say? Get along with people. Treat them well. Treat them with respect. Be concerned about their welfare. And they will also be concerned about your welfare. There is peace from Christ. He bought it. He purchased it. And God is giving it to us free. We are not paying any price to have this peace. It is a peace that passes all understanding. God bless you.